touchdown, Wisconsin. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Rhino Elbert Show, brought to you by Wisconsin Sports Heroics. Check them out on Facebook. Check them out on Twitter, at WiscoHeroics1. For all of your breaking news, up-to-date analysis, and anything and everything related to Wisconsin sports, I am your host, Rhino Elberts, and we've got a big, big show today. Big show. It is Championship Week in Green Bay. Arguably one of the biggest games of recent memory, I know they've been to championship games before. I know they won the Super Bowl in 2010. There are a lot of implications riding on this game. We're going to dive into that later on the show. There's a couple other things I want to cover today, but there's a there's a huge aura surrounding the city of Green Bay right now full of nothing but positivity, love, sports, family, friends, just everything right now is amazing. Everything is exciting out of the city of Green Bay. So we're obviously going to touch a lot on the NFC Championship game. A lot to dive into there. Uh, we're going to start the show off today. Um, I, I did not work today. I took a took a personal day. Had the day off. Wanted to work on the show a little bit. Um, caught some sports programs on, on the telly. And uh, don't ask why, but for some reason I was watching the Colin Cowherd show today. I know. I, I probably could have... You know, found something better to do with my time, but I did check his show out, and he was speaking about the retirement of Philip Rivers. Um, obviously, a quarterback that, in my eyes, is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, he's one of the better quarterbacks of the last generation. I would probably put him at least in the top ten uh, QBs of the last generation. So I think he's a surefire Hall of Famer. But there are a couple things that he was speaking about. Um, that I kind of want to dive into deeper and indulge on a little bit more than he did, maybe specifically with the Packers. Uh, but one of the things that he went into on his show about Philip Rivers is opportunity and what your team has put around you, what opportunity you walked into as a rookie quarterback, what opportunity you were given to succeed throughout your career. And that really resonated with me. That really uh, made me think about uh, our current franchise, if you're not a Packers fan, the Packers franchise, and uh, where, it, where it has been, where it is going, all of the things that they've accomplished. Now, he, he used the analogy of Eli Manning. Now, obviously, you, t- you, you have to take the, the Super Bowl rings out of the equation because Super Bowl rings are a team accomplishment. And I've made this argument on this podcast plenty of times before uh, when discussing the Jordan versus LeBron debate or the Brady versus Rogers debate. You got to take rings out of it. Now, when looking at those two particular quarterbacks, I'd even be willing to throw in Ben Roethlisberger into this conversation. When looking at those quarterbacks, if you take the rings out of the equation, I think Phillip Rivers is the best quarterback out of the three of them. If you were to go back to the year 2002, and you knew what kind of production they were capable of. You knew what kind of quarterback they were going to be in their career, but you did not know that they were going to be two-time Super Bowl champions in Ben Roethlisberger and Eli Manning. Who would you draft as your quarterback? These are the kind of debates that I personally love having because it, it really puts the game into a different context. When you start thinking outside of the box, when you start thinking outside of the the championship equation, it I, I think it really helps in painting a picture of what kind of 
quarterback or what kind of wide receiver or player, etc. that person is. So if you were to look at Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning, and Phillip Rivers, you had a time machine to go back to 2002 and draft one of those three, knowing their production only, knowing what kind of quarterback they were only, you'd have to pick Phillip Rivers. I, I think Eli Manning is probably third on that list, with Ben Roethlisberger being two and Eli Manning being one. Now, yes, Eli Manning had the interceptions. Um, he was also a, a, a pretty clutch quarterback. A lot of, lot of fourth quarter wins, a lot of game winning drives, etc. Uh, he was a smart quarterback. I mean, there for a while, he was putting up Aaron Rodgers type numbers in terms of efficiency. His completion percentage was higher. His quarterback rating was higher. I mean, he's got several seasons with a quarterback rating over 100. A couple of 30 touchdown pass seasons. And I, I started thinking about this. Had, had the deal with Eli Manning not happened with the trade with the Giants to send Phillip Rivers to the to the Chargers and Eli Manning to the Giants. I don't think you can sit there and tell me that the Giants still would not have won two Super Bowls. If you put <clears throat> excuse me, if you put Phillip Rivers on the Steelers, I don't think you can make the argument with me that they still don't win two Super Bowls. Now, yes, obviously some quarterbacks fit different schemes differently. Um, some are better with certain offensive operations and maybe not as effective with other offensive operations, and that's fine. Um, the, the thing with the Steelers and the Giants, though, with their Super Bowl victories, they had good defenses. They had good pass rush. They had solid run games. Um, decent weapons on the offensive side of things. I mean, I, I would say more so the Steelers than the Giants, but they're, they're two very similar teams in terms of their Super Bowl championship teams. Defense one, offense second. They were never really an offensive powerhouse. I mean, they had good offenses, but they're not like, you know, the Packers this year or, you know, the Patriots of 07 or any Patriots team for, for that matter. But I think the Super Bowl rings are still there. And that that is where I wanted to dive deeper into the Green Bay Packers organization in terms of opportunity, in terms of what the franchise has done in order to succeed. So what I did is I went back to the year 1991. From 1991 until 2020, it's a 30-year span. And I compared, I didn't do all 32 NFL franchises. Well, at the time in 1991, I believe there's only 29 or 30, but I didn't do all of the NFL franchises. I just did some of the more successful ones in that time, in that time span. Since 1991, and these are some very interesting numbers. Since 1991, the Packers have won 14 division titles. So at the time, in the 90s, there was six teams in the uh, NFC Central. You also had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or were there five, five teams, excuse me, you had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well. So um, to win 50% of your division's titles in a span of 30 years is quite remarkable, and uh, beyond that, out of 30 years, they had 23 winning seasons, nine seasons of which they had 12 or more wins, 21 playoff appearances, nine conference championship game appearances, three Super Bowl appearances, and two Super Bowl championships. In that time span, they had six MVPs. Now, that's assuming that Aaron Rodgers wins the MVP this year. Uh, I know the Pro Football Writers of America have already named him NFL MVP. Um, I, I still believe that the AP still has to release their voting as well, but... Six MVP seasons, three with Brett Favre, three with 
Aaron Rodgers. That's most out of any team in the NFL since 1991. You've got two defensive player of the years, one in Charles Woodson, one in Reggie White. And in that 30-year span, they have 296 wins, which means they're about four wins away from averaging 10 wins a year for 30 years. Now, in terms of opportunity, I'm... Aaron Rodgers, obviously, he, he fell into an opportunity. Does that mean he would not have been a great quarterback with another team? No, that's that's not what that means in the slightest bit. Had he gone to the 49ers or the Dolphins or the Vikings or the Jets, what have you, I think he still would have been a very successful quarterback, maybe even a Super Bowl in there. I think he probably could have won one with the 49ers. They've had two Super Bowl appearances over the past 10-ish years, one against the Ravens and then one against the Chiefs. So those teams obviously would have been able to put something around him in order to succeed, but I think Aaron fell into one of, if not the greatest opportunities he possibly could have when he was drafted in 2005. And that's that's really saying something for what this franchise has done. And the reason why I, I dove into this, the reason why I'm, I'm discussing this today is, you know, Twitter can be a very toxic place and... Every single fan base in the NFL, all 32 franchises have a group of toxic fans. So, you know, after after last year's draft in May when they didn't take a, a wide receiver in the first round and they took a quarterback and then a running back when we had Williams and Aaron Jones, you saw the hashtag fire Gutekunst or the hashtag fire Goot. A couple of years before Brian Gutekunst, you had Ted Thompson. And it was hashtag fire Thompson and everybody complained about Ted Thompson and how horrible, uh, horrible of a job he did. Uh, I've even seen hashtag fire Mark Murphy. If Twitter was a thing back in the day, I'm sure you would have seen fire Ron Wolf. Even though Ron Wolf brought Brett Favre to Green Bay, Ted Thompson brought Aaron Rodgers to Green Bay. And now Brian Kudekunst has brought Matt LaFleur to Green Bay. It's, it's almost as if and I, I don't want to insult anybody out there. I don't want to speak poorly about anybody, but it's almost as if this franchise, at least for the last 30 years, has been so successful that people have become spoiled. People expect more than what their franchise is capable of giving them. I mean, I want to I want to make some comparisons here. Now, I just picked a handful of franchises uh, to, to compare. Um, I didn't, like I said, I didn't go through the entire list of 32 NFL teams. I didn't do the entire list of teams that have won a Super Bowl over the past 30 years. There's only a couple of teams that have won more than one Super Bowl anyways. Uh, but just to compare to some of the more successful franchises in the league since 1991, um, you've got the Cowboys. In 30 years, they have 268 wins, 15 playoff appearances, three Super Bowl rings, all of them coming in the early 90s. Uh, you've got the New York Giants, 234 wins, 10 playoff appearances, two rings. Uh, you've got the 49ers. They have 253 wins, 13 playoff appearances, one Super Bowl back in 1994. They've had a couple of Super Bowl appearances since then. Um, the, the only two teams that I would say have probably been more successful than Green Bay uh, would be the Patriots and the Steelers. Both the Patriots and the Steelers over the last 30 years have 301 wins. <clears throat> Excuse me, the Steelers come in with 18 playoff appearances, two rings, four Super Bowl appearances overall, and then obviously the Patriots, 21 playoff appearances and six rings with 10 Super Bowl appearances over the last 30 years. Now, obviously the, the ring equation is is heavily in favored, 
heavily in favor of the uh, New England Patriots. But I mean, if you, you compare that, New England versus Green Bay over the last 30 years, you only have five more wins and you have two less playoff appearances. Only Green Bay has appeared in the playoffs that many times since 1991. No other franchise has. With New England coming next, and obviously the majority of New England's playoff appearances have been over the last 15 or so years with Tom Brady. So what this is telling me, what this, what this shows me, is that Green Bay is in, at a minimum, at a minimum, the top five best-run organizations in the National Football League for three decades. You can maybe make the case for Pittsburgh and New England being better run organizations in that time span, but really that's it. Now, obviously you can make the argument that, you know, there there are times where the franchise could have done more. Well, that's every franchise. I mean, when you make the phrase could have done more, that's all based on chance. Every single draft pick that you ever make, you know, your your 6 to 12 draft picks per year, every single one of them are a risk. Every single one. There's no guarantee that they're going to make it. There's no guarantee that they're going to be successful. There's no guarantee that they're going to be great. Tom Brady was, what was he, 201? In the, in the late 6th, early 7th round, I apologize. I can't remember exactly where he went, but he wasn't a first-round pick. He wasn't a guy that was projected to go number one overall. No one in their right mind saw Tom Brady being what he is today. I mean, he wasn't even the starter for two straight seasons. The only reason why he became the starter in 2001 is because Drew Bledsoe got hurt. I mean, what's that tell you about Tom Brady at the time he was taken by the Patriots? That, that tells you that they viewed Drew, Drew Bledsoe as more valuable than Tom Brady. Imagine making that argument today. You obviously can't. But for some reason, they were able to make that argument back in 2000 and 2001. So every single draft pick that you you make is a risk. And those are all opportunities for your franchise to succeed. Green Bay has been given more opportunities to succeed than the majority of the franchises in the NFL, and they've done well. They've been one of the most successful franchises for 30 years now. There's no stretch in Green Bay Packers history where you can really say that. The 50s and 60s, the 30s, but no other stretch in this franchise history can you say for three decades straight, there were at least multiple teams in each decade that were put on the field that were contenders, that could have won a championship, some of which did win a championship. Now, looking back on some of the opportunities that that Green Bay missed out on, this is another point that I'd like to make, sometimes the ball just doesn't roll your way. Or bounce your way, however you want to you know, say that phrase. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. But sometimes the cookie just does not crumble in your favor. How's that one? That one, that one sounds pretty good to me. I mean, if you look back to 1998, we're going to go back quite a ways. They're coming off the Super Bowl loss to Denver the year before. A game in which they probably should have won. They were very heavy favorites. One of the biggest point spreads, I believe, in Super Bowl history. You go into San Francisco for the wild card round. It's a back-and-forth game. It's a tight game. It's a great game. And there's a missed call with Jerry Rice fumbling the ball where his his knees were a solid foot off the ground. And at the time, the Packers had the lead in the game. That would have given Green Bay the ball back with not that much time left, I believe, in the game. That should have sealed it. Even if you go down and kick a field goal, I, I'm, I'm almost positive that seals the game. But the Niners get the ball back because they call them down by contact, and... 
history is written. Terrell Owens in the end zone. Uh, I, I, don't, I can't remember if it was as time expired or about to be time expired, but that's what sealed them the game. A bad call cost them an opportunity in the playoffs. Now, I'm not going to make that as, a, as an excuse, but that is still something that's an opportunity. The, pra- the Packers front office fielded a team that was capable of winning it all, and luck did not go their way. Fast forward a little bit, you've got 2003. Philadelphia Eagles, 4th and 26. It's one of those fluke plays that you will rarely ever see in NFL playoff history. Uh, something similar to, say, perhaps when Aaron Rodgers came out of the end zone to hit, um, what was that, that 50-yard bomb to Jeff Janis against the Arizona Cardinals in the wild card round a couple of years ago in 2015, divisional round, excuse me. It's just it's one of those fluke plays that you can just you can never see coming. I mean, it was it was one of those ones where it's like, oh my God, fourth and twenty six. There's no way this is this is game. There's no way they get this. There's no way. And then boom, Donovan McNabb over the middle, twenty seven yard completion. The rest is history. A couple other examples. You got two thousand seven. Favre has picked off his last pass. That was another opportunity where the franchise or where the front office put a team on the field that was more than capable of winning it all. I will go to the grave saying that that Packers team would have been capable of beating the sixteen and zero. New England Patriots. And then obviously, you know, you've got 2009, the wild card round against the Arizona Cardinals, another one against Cardinals where Aaron Rodgers' face mask is nearly ripped off and he fumbles the ball and they return it into the end zone for a touchdown in overtime. And then I don't even need to talk about the 2014 NFC Championship game. We're, we're not going to go there. It's too heartbreaking. The point that I'm making here is nobody has been better. Nobody has done it more consistently other than, say, the Steelers and the Patriots of putting a contention-worthy team onto the field. So, hopefully that puts into perspective when you see a draft that doesn't necessarily go your way or you see a free agent move that doesn't necessarily go their way, they're there for a reason. It's not like this team has consistently been 6-10 and 10 for the last 30 years and has maybe made the playoffs two or three times. 23 out of 30 opportunities, over 70% of the time, for three decades, Green Bay has played in the playoffs. Sometimes you catch an opponent that's just better than you. Sometimes you don't catch the breaks. Sometimes a ball doesn't bounce into your hands. There's still one of only, I believe, four or five teams that have won multiple rings in that stretch. There's still one of a handful of teams, maybe three or four, that have made the playoffs 50% of the time in a 30-year stretch. So I I have full confidence in this front office, especially after the Jordan Love pick, no wide receiver, no real weapon for Aaron Rodgers, and they still go out and they have the number one scoring offense. They get the first round by home field advantage, 13-3. and I'm thinking from now on we should probably go forward trusting every move that this franchise makes. Obviously, Obviously their plan works. Obviously their vision works. So enough ranting about that. Now we're going to hop into the biggest game, arguably in franchise history. And what I, I, I know, I know somebody out there is going to be like, well, they've they've won rings, they've won world championships, they've been in the championship game before. The implications behind this particular championship game, I think, are higher than any other game before that. And there are a lot of things that go into me making that statement. I mean, for one, for starters, it's it's Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers. It's literally the greatest of all time argument 
playing an, an NFC Championship game. You're literally going to see the argument on the field. You're going to witness the argument unfold in front of your eyes on television on Sunday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. The other implications that kind of surround this game, you've got Matt LaFleur, a young head coach who's trying to make something of himself in the NFL. He's trying to climb those rungs of the ladder to be considered one of, if not the best current coach in the NFL. You've got Aaron Rodgers' legacy. He could use another ring in his favor in terms of the greatest of all time argument. I personally don't think so. But he could use that other ring in his favor, solidify him as one of the all-time greats, top five quarterback of all time. You've got Tom Brady, the living legend, the single greatest player in NFL history. Like I said, I think most accomplished. But the narrative is greatest living quarterback of all time. Dead or alive, for that matter. You've got Bruce Arians, a coach who's been in the league for a very long time. He's been close multiple times. He's never won a, a Super Bowl as a head coach. you got the opportunity for there to be the first home team to play in their stadium for a Super Bowl down in Tampa. I mean, there's just a lot of things riding on this. You've got a warm-weather team versus a cold-weather team on the road. It's going to be cold. Now, it's not Wisconsin cold, but it is cold to a, a team from Tampa, Florida. There's going to be snow. I mean, it's it's iconic. And this may be one of the greatest matchups at the quarterback position that we've ever seen in any championship game. We've obviously seen Manning, Manning Brady. You know, we've seen things like Brady Mahomes. We've seen Rodgers Wilson. We've seen Breeze Favre. We've seen Favre Young. Now, I going into this championship game beforehand, I used to think that Brady Manning was the greatest conference championship game matchup we've ever seen, ever, of all time. And the reason why... At the time, the greatest of all time argument was Manning versus Brady. Brady had the rings, Manning had the smarts, Manning had the stats. Well, now that argument has shifted over to Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Who's the GOAT? Which one is better? Arguments are made in favor of Rodgers. Arguments are made in favor of Brady. You literally have the argument playing on the field. So in my eyes, this is the greatest conference championship matchup in the history of the NFL. That alone is watchworthy, no matter, even if you're a, you, you, there will be people who will tune into this game who don't watch the NFL, who don't like the NFL, simply because they know who these two people are. There are people in Wisconsin, and I, I can't even believe I'm about to say this, but there are people in Wisconsin that hate football. They're going to watch. There are people in Tampa that hate football. They're going to watch. There's people in New England that hate Tom. They're still going to watch. So the intrigue is there. The iconic moments will be there the the implications surrounding the game are there everything is there for this to be an all-time great matchup now i'm going to break down uh, the x factors i'm going to break down what it's going to take for green bay to win this game um, we'll touch a little bit on uh week, week six the blowout i don't i don't want to touch too much on that game i may make just a, a few small comments about that game and that's it that game does not matter these are two different teams Two completely different teams playing on the field set or Sunday as opposed to week six. So let's dive into what it's going to take for Green Bay to win this game. Now, for the second straight time in the playoffs, Green Bay is going to be facing a very strong defensive front. I I would still put the Rams defensive front ahead of the, the, the Bucks, but at the same time, you had an injured Aaron Donald, a little bit less effective defensive front in the Rams, a little bit 
less effective secondary because of the weaker defensive line. The Green Bay Packers did roll the Rams. I think even if Aaron Donald was at 100%, they still take that game. They really controlled that game from start to finish. That being said, I did speak a couple times on the show that the, the Bucks wrote the blueprint of how to shut down the Green Bay Packers. That week six loss, the boat race, after getting out to a 10-0 lead, the Packers never saw the end zone the rest of the game. Lost that game 38-10. to Worst loss of the year. Um, worst loss that Matt LaFleur has had outside of the NFC Championship game last season. I believe that one was worse only because of it being the championship game. I think what really perpetuated that game week six, it started with the pick six. But I think it's, uh, me personally, I think it started a little bit before that. That touchdown run that got called back where Aaron Rodgers did the Hingle McCringleberry in the end zone. I, I think he got really shaken up on that play. It looked like he was not feeling the greatest for the entire game. He was very uncomfortable under center. He was very uncomfortable in the backfield. He did not look like his mobility was 100% there. He did not look like his range of motion was 100% there. Uh, there's even audio of Tom Brady asking Aaron Rodgers if he was okay after the game. It was a very hard hit that he took. I'm surprised he was able to pop right back up after that. And there have been times, uh, historically speaking, where Aaron Rodgers has taken a shot and he has looked rattled for a large portion of that game. But then you add on top of that a pick six, the first one he had thrown in nearly a decade, well, not necessarily, what was it, the Bengals? So for a good a good four or five years, maybe. First pick six he had thrown in a while, we'll say. You add that on top of it, and then he comes back the very next throw, he throws another interception that almost went for another pick six. I, I saw with my own eyes while watching that week six game, I saw every single ounce of motivation. I saw every single ounce of momentum after being up 10 nothing. I saw every single ounce of hope drain out of all 22 people the Packers were putting on the field, both on defense and offense. It's really hard to come back from something like that, no matter who you are. We saw that in the wild card round with the Browns versus the Steelers, where the Browns put up 28 quick points in the first quarter, and it really took until the end of the third quarter going into the fourth quarter for the, Brown, for the Steelers to be like, oh shit, we need to play hard. They, they were just completely flattened for well over half of that game. Now, this, these, these aren't excuses. The Bucks earned those turnovers. They earned that hard hit on Aaron Rodgers. They earned that 38-10 victory. I'm here to tell you that that does not happen again in this game. Whether Green Bay wins or loses on Sunday, a 38-10 boat race does not happen again. You're not going to see two straight interceptions on back-to-back -back passes from Aaron Rodgers. You're not going to see him take the, the risk in the end zone unless absolutely has to. I don't think you're going to see him take a risk in the end zone on a, a running play in the first or second quarter. I also don't think you're going to see the penetration that the the uh, Bucks got in the backfield on a consistent basis. It was the second highest sack total Aaron Rodgers earned in the season. The only other game was the Panthers game, which it felt like at the time, and going back and watching some of the highlights and some of the tape, the Panthers really implemented the same game plan against the Packers that the Bucks did week six. The only problem is the Panthers are nowhere near as good as the Bucks are. Another thing you saw on offense, there was there was a, a real lack of motion. I mean, it was a very static 
offense. It, it almost, I mean, honestly, that week six matchup, I almost thought Mike McCarthy was out there coaching the Packers in that game. There was a lot of Mike McCarthy bullshit going on in that game against the Bucks. They were able to drive the field successfully the first two possessions. They got a touchdown and a field goal out of it. And then after that, it's almost like he just took his, th- his playbook and threw it in the garbage. Now, I have argued on the show before that Matt LaFleur has shown signs of not being the greatest at adjusting. I think that particular game this season is the best argument I have in my favor of showing that. After the pick six, after the second interception, he did nothing to try and get Rodgers back in the groove of things. He did nothing to try and get his confidence back. He did not open up the playbook the way he should have. Now, obviously, you had Devontae Adams his first game back. He, I don't think he was 100%. You had Rodgers maybe looking for him a little bit too much. But now, three months later, this Packers offense is much more mature. They are much more in tune. They have a much better chemistry. You didn't quite see the weapons get capitalized in week six the way that they are now. Even week four, five, seven, eight. The way that the weapons are being used now, the way they can spread the ball over the field to anyone they want, whether it be Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, MVS, Big Bob Tanyan, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, even Mercedes Lewis, they can spread the ball out wherever they want, and they showed that the Rams were not capable of covering everything that they have to offer. And I do not think the Bucks are going to be capable of covering everything that the Packers have to offer. It's going to boil down to A, and here's the most important thing, A, protecting Aaron Rodgers. They did a phenomenal job of that against the Rams. Aaron Donald, in his, I believe, 39 defensive snaps, only had one hurry. Jenkins did a phenomenal job of picking up the blitz. He took on two dudes at once, multiple times. They did a great job of keeping the Rams front eight, I would say, out of the backfield. Aaron Rodgers had a clean jersey. It looked like he just put it on when he was in his postgame presser. So it... it, For the second straight week, it's going to come down to the offensive line being the hero of the game. Keep him upright. Keep him in the pocket. If he's got to flush out of the pocket a little bit, that's not a big deal. Don't put him in scenarios where he's going to be running for his life. Don't put him in scenarios where he's got to make erratic throws, where he feels like he has to target Devontae on every single possession. Give him time, and he will make the plays, because I do not think the the Bucs have the secondary to lock down this offense. They may shut down Devontae. They may even shut down Alan Lazard. But then you're going to get Aaron Jones cooking. You're going to get MBS cooking. You're going to get Big Bob Tanyan cooking. And the second one is defensive line. I I, I didn't think so as much against the Rams because I I, I I never trusted that Jared Goff was going to put plays together to threaten the Packers' defense. I was more worried about Cam Akers which they did a good job of shutting down. But don't allow Brady to sit back there and take all the time in the world. We have seen more times than not this season. Now, Brady had a phenomenal year, especially at 43. I mean, at 43, Tom Brady's season this year was better than 95% of the quarterbacks in the NFL, better than their career years. So hats off to Tom Brady in the season that he had. But we have seen on multiple occasions, Brady has made quite a few more mistakes this season than he has in the past probably four or five. And that's because of pressure. 
put pressure on him, at least get him moving. We don't need to sit him on his ass. At least get him moving. Get him moving outside of the pocket. Make him try and make plays with his legs. Make him try and go deep. None of this, none of this soft coverage 10, 12 yards off the line of scrimmage bullshit. Jam your guys, get some press coverage going, and and make force Brady into beating you with his arm. He didn't beat the Saints with his arm. He had a mediocre game against the Saints. 21 of the Saints' points came off of three turnovers by Drew Brees. Brady looked average. He looked like a 43-year-old, and that was in a dome. Now, yeah, Brady is used to cold weather, but I can tell you something right now. He's been in Tampa for a year. He's played games in a dome. He's played games in Carolina. He's played games in Kansas City when it was warm. He's played games out west. He's going to feel the cold, especially at 43, not having seen it for a while. But outside of, outside of Brady and Gronk, this cold is really going to affect this team. So don't allow him to master his craft on Sunday. Make him improvise. Make him overthink. Make him rush, make him hurry, make him second-guess himself. And I really think that this could go Green Bay's way. It's going to come up to a battle in the trenches. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers has to get cooking. We we are relying on him to be Aaron Rodgers. He had a great game against the Rams. He completed 70% of his passes, a couple of touchdowns. He had the, oh, my God. Let me just take a quick second, too, by the way. Pause from the NFC Championship game conversation. Let me take a quick second to talk about that pump fake on Floyd in the divisional round against the Rams. That's one of the best pump fakes I've ever seen in my entire life. He had Floyd 15 feet in the fucking air with that pump fake. One of the greatest things I'd ever seen in my entire life. By the way, I apologize about using the F word. Grandma, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. And then all of a sudden he did is just, he just kicked it outside a little bit more and pretty much trotted right into the end zone. One of the best pump fakes I've ever seen. So, back to the, the NFC Championship game matchup. It's going to come down. Offensive line is the X factor for me. Offensive line is the number one most important matchup in this game. Number two, defensive line after that. I think the defensive line is more important than Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams in this matchup, and I explained why. You have to put pressure on Brady. You have to get him out of his comfort zone. They can potentially win this game with a not-as-Aaron-Rodgers performance out of Aaron Rodgers. They can still win this game if he's a little off. They can still win this game if Aaron Jones, you know, maybe puts up 70, 80 yards. They can still win this game if Devontae Adams, maybe 70, 80 yards. They will not win this game if they allow Tom Brady to sit back there, have time, do his 1099 form, have a sandwich, and pick him apart. We're going to end the show today with my game prediction. Now, I think we all know where this is going. Green Bay Packers win this game, and I started the week, uh, I'll, I'll say this quick, I started the week a lot more nervous than I am now. Um, I started looking into the, a lot of the statistics. You know, going into that going into that week six matchup, the Bucs had one of, if not the best defense in the NFL. They were ranked uh, top three in almost every major statistical category going into that game. Since then... They have been in between 10 and 15 in every major statistical category. They really have not played the greatest on defense. Obviously, they had the three interceptions against Drew Brees, but that's 481-year-old Drew Brees. 
I I think I think that Aaron Rodgers is going to have a big game. I do. I think I could I could see him putting up three or four touchdowns, three hundred and twenty to three hundred and forty yards, completing seventy five percent of his passes. I don't think Adams has a big game because I think he will not only be covered by the Bucks' best cornerback, but I think he's going to have a shadow around him at all times, a safety, maybe an Antoine Winfield Jr., something to that measure. I think they will try and eliminate Devontae Adams as much as possible, and, and in turn, I see Big Bob Tanyan having a good game. I see him outdueling Gronk on the other side of the field at tight end. I see... Big Bob Tanyan going for 75 yards and two touchdowns. I also see Jamal Williams having a big game. I see a touchdown reception out of him, maybe about 80 yards total of offense. So, my prediction for the NFC Championship game, I've got Green Bay 33, Tampa 21. Green Bay goes on to the Super Bowl, where I see them playing the Buffalo Bills. I'm not going to get into that matchup at all right now today. I've already rambled on for quite a bit here, but I do believe it is going to be a Packers-Bills matchup. I just can't imagine even if Mahomes plays that he's even at 80%. You know, he had the ankle injury and then now the, whatever they want to call it, the nerve damage, nerve stinger slash concussion, what have you. I don't think he's going to be playing at 100%. And I think the Bills have just been playing better as of late than the Chiefs. So that being said, Packers-Bills, we're going to end the show. Thank you for checking out another episode of the Rhino Albert Show brought to you by Wisconsin Sports Heroics. Um, you can hit me on Twitter at Sports Talk Rhino. Check out the show on SoundCloud. Uh, sports, uh, excuse me, Rhino Albert Show on SoundCloud. Um, it'll be posted on Facebook. It'll be posted on Twitter um, where you can check out my pages. Obviously, you've, you've listened to the show. I'm not going to tell you where the show is going to be posted if you're hearing this. Shh, it's okay. I got it covered. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in, and we will hopefully see you for Super Bowl Sunday.